Welcome to the Lubetkin on Communications podcast, produced in cooperation with the Public Relations Society of America's New Jersey chapter. I'm Steve Lubetkin, your host, Podcast Steve on Twitter. In this program, we talk to people in the public relations, communications, and journalism fields about their activities. And we also present interesting seminar panels and conferences being conducted around the country. In this program, we'll present the panel on brand storytelling and content marketing, a seminar which was conducted on October 19th, 2017 at Tabula Rasa in Rahway, New Jersey. Introducing the panel of speakers is Chris Biddle, APR, the president of the New Jersey chapter of PRSA. It's really great to see you all. We have a few people coming in late, but I want to get started on time because we've got a lot of ground to cover today. I am Christopher Biddle. I am president of the New Jersey chapter of the Public Relations Society of America. It's a rotating position. Every year someone takes the position and it's my turn this, uh, this year. Um, and I'm going to be both a presenter and a moderator. Please silence your cell phones. And also the bathrooms are straight back here or straight back to the right and the left. There's two bathrooms. Um, First, I'd like to give a gigantic welcome to our sponsor, and who walks in here but Eric Wright, who's Executive Vice President of DS Simon. Here we go. Thank you. Um, It's an award-winning influencer marketing and video communications firm based in New York. Um, DS Simon has been doing influencer marketing for 30 years. And what they do is they turn your people and your organizations uh, into spokesmen and leaders and influencers. And what they found is that if you have someone in-house who does this well, it's twice as effective as having someone from the outside, which makes a lot of sense. So they make sure they're well-trained. And then what they do is they, um, this is precisely what they do. (laughs) They get your people on television through influencer marketing, immediate tours. And they partner with other influencers, other influencers to extend your reach through YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and online media using the power of video. Eric, again, thank you for being here and supporting this program. Okay. Ah, next. Ready? Oh, I did all that. Okay. So, I'm president of the association. We need members. I have to do this. If you're not a member, join. It's a great association. We have a terrific, really engaged and passionate board. Um, I've been a solo practitioner now for four years, and I owe so much to the the New Jersey chapter of PRSA in being able to do what I do today. So if you're not a member, I've got a bowl at the registration desk with a little picture of Curious George on a sign next to it. Drop your business card in there. If you're not a member, I'll reach out to you, and we can talk. Um, Okay, so, first of all, Tabitha, Rasa, great venue, thank you, wherever you are. (laughs) Steve, who had to eat some breakfast, uh, he's going to be talking about supporting and leveraging uh, creative content, and he does podcasts, and he's putting his money where his mouth is, he's making a podcast of today's event. So, and... Here today is my associate, Sean Fallon, 
who's going to be writing uh, a report on this event for the PRSA NJ website. Okay. Um, so, there we go. So what are we talking about today? It's all about the new PR. It goes under a variety of names, inbound marketing, content marketing, and a particular specialty of that, brand journalism. Um, so it's all about writing and publishing your own news so people find you. And we're going to cover six topics today, in addition to the overview I'm about to give. Plan strategically, measure outcomes, research your audiences. By the way, you'll be getting these slides post-event. I'll send them to you all, okay? Um, develop keywords and messages. Be a creative storyteller. Support and leverage your storytelling. And then build your own news hub and editorial desk. Today's speakers include, I'm, not, I'm going to do the full introductions later. This is Justin with the Stern Strategy Group, Lindsay with Litsky Communications, and Steve with uh, Lubeck and Media Companies. Okay, got it right. Okay, that brings, so they're there. There they are. A little slow on the uptake here. <laughs> and you have this on your program, all the names of the speakers and their emails. Feel free to reach out to anyone afterwards. And this brings me to, of all people, me. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I used to be a newspaper reporter and editor for 15 years. And what you see here is me as business editor of the Trenton Times around 1989, when it was still a real newspaper. You know, before all real newspapers became fake news, unfortunately. Um, and, um, and then I did 20 years with the New Jersey Business an industry association, bringing them into the world of the internet as head of communications. I retired in 2012 and started my own business as a solo PR practitioner, president of Biddle Communications and Public Relations. And the specialty I've been developing is brand journalism. And I actually had the idea for this seminar two years ago. Finally got it together, so I'm so glad you're all here. Okay, let's start with this. How are we doing here? Oh, I'm doing all right, okay. So, what is inbound or content marketing? I would like someone in the audience to tell me what it is. I need a volunteer. Come on, someone's got an idea. Everyone's being shy this morning. Um, okay, Sean, i put you on the spot. <laughs> what's, uh, what's inbound marketing? Right, creating your own content, writing stories about what you do, and putting it on the, on the internet. On the internet, right, so people can find you. And here we go. This is inbound marketing. This is from HubSpot. You will, have you all heard of HubSpot? It's an inbound marketing leader. Justin just did a, a conference in, in Boston with them, right? Uh, it's focused on attracting customers through great content at every stage in their buying journey. And with inbound marketing, potential customers find you through channels like blogs, search engines, and social media. So as I, as I put it, you create a digital communication strategy that lets customers find you so you can convert them, engage and convert them. Okay, next. So this is the new paradigm. Engage, attract, engage, convert by sharing compelling content across multiple platforms. So what is brand journalism? I love this quote from a, a journalist in the UK. 
It's organizations that employ journalists and or journalistic techniques to create compelling content. Now you can see why I'm a brand journalist, because I used to be a news reporter. Uh, the content that uses all the skills and techniques of traditional journalism to craft a memorable story and present information that a particular audience needs, wants, values, or is entertained by. Or as Mark Reagan of Reagan Communications, which, which loves this topic, stop begging the media, become the media instead. Uh, and this kid, by the way, he's well on his way, I can see that. <laughs> okay. Now, what's at the heart of brand journalism? It's creative storytelling. Now, the interesting thing about this is, actually, storytelling has been the most effective form of human communication since ancient times, since people spoke, learned to speak to each other. And what's the only thing that's changed now is that we have the internet, right, which allows us to publish our own news in digital format at a relatively minor, you know, modest expense. You don't need a printing press, right? And um, uh, so, but it is the creative storytelling about people that's at the heart of brand journalism. So how does brand journalism work? We're gonna get more into this later, but you're gonna develop a content marketing strategy, which Justin is gonna talk about. Uh, and you're gonna research your audiences also, which Lindsay's gonna talk about. You're gonna hire, contract, or train people who can write. By the way, there's a lot of out-of-work reporters. You all know this, right? Hire a reporter. And they have to change their mindset a little bit. They can't be quite as objective as they used to be. I mean, they, they're, right, they're writing it for you. <clears throat> but that's what I do for my clients. I write for them. Create an online newsroom, post the stories in blog format, optimize your website and blogs for search engines, and integrate this strategy into your entire operation, internal and external communications. Benefits. Okay. Customers find you, right? You post stuff on the website, Good stories, people read it, you come to the top of search engine rankings, right? And then people call you. Reporters call you because they find your information. If you've done it well, it's quality. They'll, they'll see you as a credible source of information and you don't have to send them a news release. You no longer rely on the traditional media. You write an accurate story that's got your core messages where you want them. You can measure which Justin's gonna talk about, the success of your efforts. And it's a great way to engage your employees using particularly social media. Let them be your brand ambassadors. Okay, great. Well, this brings us to strategy. <clears throat> strategy, 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 it's in here somewhere. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> I'm right on time, good. So this brings us to our first main topic, strategy. Now that's at the heart of all effective PR, but I've noticed even among PR practitioners, strategy has given short shrift sometimes, many times. We assume we know who our audiences are, and um, we don't make sure that our communication goals are aligned with the organization's bottom line goals. And this is what strategy is all about. It's about and it's also about getting and measuring desired outcomes. So here to discuss it is Justin Gianni Noto. It took me a few minutes to pronounce that right. <laughs> I had to practice it at home this morning. Yeah. So he's responsible for leading uh, overall direction, 
on all digital programs and projects on strategy. Um, he works alongside senior management. Uh, he works, gives strategic and tactical counsel to clients. Uh, he holds a master's in business administration, marketing, and management information systems. And he also did English, general literature, and rhetoric from Binghamton University. So I give you Justin. Good morning. Thanks, Chris, for that great introduction. Um, let's talk about uh, creating a strategy that is both measurable and generates impact. So first and foremost, um, you know, we, we view content marketing really as a piece of your overall uh, PR strategy, and it should always be tied to measurable outcomes. Um, unfortunately, as important as content marketing and brand journalism are in today's environment, uh, very few marketers and professionals actually create a measurable framework. Um, less than half, uh, well less than half, actually have a documented content marketing strategy. And that is always the first step in making sure that uh, you're going to have outcomes that you're going to be able to measure, uh, you're going to be able to report on that performance, and you're going to be able to iterate as a result. So how do you both create a content marketing strategy that's measurable and drives results? That's going to be the focus of uh, this first part. So just so I can have a sense of the audience today, how many of us uh, focus on B2C marketing? Okay. And how many B2B? Okay, so a little bit more skewed toward B2B, and that is what we focus on primarily as well. I think this does apply uh, broadly to, to uh, no matter who your target audience is, um, but you know, some of my insights might be skewed a little bit more toward B2B. Um, so the first step in creating this, this strategy or, or a measurable framework, uh, you're gonna go ahead and clarify your goals. So at this stage, you should already have a good sense of why you're interested in pursuing content marketing. You know, you've heard a lot about the importance of content marketing, um, but when it comes to your brand and the story that you're trying to tell, um, what are the goals that you're trying to achieve? You wanna make sure that everybody is on the same page from the very beginning, so that at the end of the day, uh, nobody is surprised when you go back and look at the results and say, oh, well, that didn't you know, achieve the outcome that we had intended. Um, so you're going to ask questions like, why are we doing this in the first place? Um, what does success look like? And then you're going to take a look at what some uh, key performance indicators might be, or KPIs. And those are really going to be what you can track uh, on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis um, so that you can evaluate your results effectively. Uh, you need to set priorities. So one tool that we use is this SMART framework. Um, you're going to set goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely. Uh, and I'll show some good examples and some bad examples here. Um, some poor, uh, poorly constructed goals, although they're ambitious and they're, they're things to strive for, increase awareness in the market. This is something that we hear a lot. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not as easy to measure as something like increase our website traffic by 50%. So you want to set goals that are going to be achievable once again, and that you're going to be able to look back on and use real metrics to measure. Uh, become a thought leader in our industry, you know, same thing, that's a great goal. Um, but you want to um, sort of spell it out in a way that is measurable once again. So increase subscriptions by 25% or some metric that would be an indicator that you're making progress toward that end objective. Um, and then finally, differentiating ourselves from our competitors, something else that we hear pretty frequently. And something like increasing leads would be a good indicator that you're starting to differentiate yourself and you're starting to win more business with this strategy. 
So moving along, um, defining your audience, and um, I'm just gonna touch on this because um, Lindsay is gonna touch on this a little bit further, but you wanna start uh, creating your strategy by defining some buyer personas. So these are semi-fictional representations of the target audience that you're trying to reach, uh, but you do want them to really contain information, not just demographics, but what are your buyers motivated by? What are their challenges that they're facing on a day-to-day -day basis? And what are the goals or outcomes that they're hoping to achieve? You want to target your content um, that, you know, in a way that really answers those questions uh, because it's obviously going to be much more relevant for them. You want to solve for their most significant challenges. So some methods that you can do to, uh, to do this are customer interviews. Uh, you can use surveys. You can even do third-party research. Um, the most effective way, though, although it does take some more time, is speaking directly with some buyers. So next, you're going to think about some ideas for your content. Um, you want to identify topics that are both relevant to your buyer persona and relevant to your company and your products and services. Uh, Chris mentioned this earlier. You really want to uh, blend those two together um, so that it's easier at the end of the day to translate the content into the offerings and the solutions that your business can provide. Um, once you come up with some core topic ideas that you really want to be known for and generate thought leadership around, you can then translate those into some subtopics, and that'll give you some ideas for how to put together your content calendar and how to start writing blog posts. And lastly, uh, you know, we went over this in the beginning, it's just the importance of documenting your strategy uh, so that you can share it with other stakeholders in your organization, other people involved in, uh, or really involved in this strategy. Uh, selecting your keywords, and again, Chris is going to touch on this a little bit later in the presentation, but at the end of the day, content marketing is about being found, um, and so it's extremely important to optimize all of your content with keywords. Um, you know, SEO is constantly changing, it's a moving target, so there's no uh, one best practice, unfortunately, but there, there are things that we can do in order to help ourselves be found and help these algorithms that Google and others use uh, rank our content a little bit better. So identify the keywords that your buyers are using and make sure that you're incorporating those into your content. Make sure that the topics and themes that you're focusing on um, align with those keywords. And just some tools listed here, and you can reference these uh, when, when the slides are sent around. Some very basic and freely available tools um, using you know, Google search suggestions is a great way to get ideas for what's most commonly searched. Uh, so next, you want to actually get started creating your content. And you really want to begin, just like we would do with anything else in PR, is create an editorial calendar. You want to get out ahead of this. Um, you know, content marketing and brand journalism really require um, a decent amount of publication, but uh, obviously quality is very important. So you want to map this all out in, in advance as much as possible and make sure that you're following a set schedule for publishing so that you can maintain a consistent presence and get those organic search rankings going. Um, I also have a note here about including CTAs. I think it's really important um, to remember that attracting you know, your audience is only one step in this journey, and it's, it's very important to, to give them a next step. Um, so have them download an ebook or a white paper, send them to a landing page, collect their email address. Um, there are a variety of ways that you can convert that traffic on your website into leads and further engage them. Um, in a helpful way. And most importantly, just get started. Um, companies that publish 16 or more blog posts per month receive three and a half times more traffic and four and a half times more leads. This is, a, this is a, from a HubSpot study. 
And so it, you know, this stuff builds up over time. Um, it takes a while, it can take up to six months or more for organic search rankings to really, uh, for you to start seeing results. Um, so the, the sooner you get started with this strategy, the better off you're going to be. So now uh, we're going to transition over into measurable outcomes. So now that you have this strategic framework set up for your, for your content marketing strategy and you're starting to put out content, how can you make sure that you are directly tying your efforts to your company's bottom line uh, impact? You're making sure that you're generating a good return on investment for uh, the money that you're spending on this. And I'm going to talk about this um, within the framework of inbound or content marketing. Um, really considering how a buyer moves through the journey. It's, it's much more fragmented today than it has been in the past. Um, buyers can, can enter and exit at any point in the journey, but for the most part, they follow a, a similar pattern uh, here. So awareness, consideration, decision. You know, they recognize that they have some symptoms, but they're not sure what their problem is. Um, that's when your blog posts are really gonna come into play and they're gonna be able to find some information about you know, what's really happening with my social media strategy that's not generating results. Um, consideration, okay, you know, they might know a little bit more about what's going on, but uh, they want to know what their options are to, to fix that. So maybe it's um, doing something different on social media, putting in place a different piece of technology. And then decision is when they know what their options are and they're going to eventually make a choice. Um, and you want to be really present throughout each stage of this journey with different pieces of content um, so that you are helping that buyer move through this journey. Um, so HubSpot has this framework, attract, convert, close, and delight. Um, ideally, it's using content as a way to move people who have never heard of your business, who are strangers, to people who are promoting your business, uh, because we all know that word of mouth is still tremendously important, and you want your customers to be your best advocates. So you want to be helpful at every stage of this journey, once again, using different pieces of content um, in order to move your buyers through this methodology. And here's a little bit of the way that we actually turn this into uh, a measurable framework. So for each of these stages, you want to make sure that you're bringing in the right people to your site, not just traffic in general, but um, are they the right people that you're hoping to attract? Uh, you want to convert them, as I said, using landing pages, forms, other pieces of content. And then you want to move them ultimately to a desired action. So as you begin to think about the different key performance indicators, you can look at each of these uh, stages in the buyer's journey and create some metrics that are actually very measurable and you can report on um, pretty easily if you have the right technology in place. So you can look at things like site traffic, um, where your traffic is coming from, how engaged people are with your content, are they coming back or are they just you know, visiting once? Um, in terms of conversion, how many leads are you generating? from the people that are visiting your site. And then in terms of closing, you can look at very bottom of the funnel metrics, like how many actual opportunities is a sales team getting, for example. And that's gonna differ de depending on the type of business that you're producing content for. So as people move through these different life cycle stages within the buyer's journey, um, here is a little bit of an example of how we tie those together with the key performance indicators. And one way to do this is actually to start just tracking metrics. So you're not gonna know right away, it's different for every business, um, what these conversion numbers might be, but you can actually start to put in a percentage of visitors that are gonna convert to subscribers, and then subscribers that are gonna convert to leads, so on and so forth. And it, ultimately you'll know how many visitors you're gonna need in order to generate a certain number of leads and deals. So as I mentioned earlier, having the right technology in place is very important. 
Um, these are just some examples of technology that we utilize. Um, Google Analytics is pretty familiar uh, for the most part uh, with everyone. HubSpot we use as a little bit more advanced tracking um, in order to help us understand how our visitors are converting into leads and then deals. Uh, and the last one I have there is a time tracking tool called TimeFox that we use at our agency. But really, any tool that you can use toward the bottom of the funnel to understand how much time you're investing in these opportunities. You know, if you're investing a ton of time and these opportunities aren't converting, they might not be the best fit. And you should reevaluate uh, the content that you're producing to make sure that you're bringing the right people into your ecosystem. So last point here, um, again, find ways to tie your content marketing strategy in with the bottom line. Make sure that the platform, as this graphic shows, is really at the center. So have something like HubSpot, have something like Google Analytics. Make sure that that's in place and you're measuring these KPIs effectively. Um, and then develop insight and improve your strategy from there. So make sure that you're referencing these metrics consistently and you're iterating on your strategy as you go. Thank you. Don't sit down yet, Justin. <laughs> um, have some questions for Justin? Okay. I have a question. Could you give me an example sure. of how this works? Absolutely. So uh, I can talk about what we've done within our own agency um, and really centralizing our marketing efforts around content. So utilizing our blog as a way to reach um, PR practitioners, essentially, probably a lot of folks in this room who are interested in content marketing, interested in brand journalism, interested in uh, adapting their PR strategy you know, for the new era. Um, and we've begun essentially writing content that speaks to those buyer personas, as I mentioned earlier, um, attracting them into our, our website through organic search. Um, you know, and I can say that we have seen, you know, very good results from that. We've seen a, a big increase in the number of website visits that we're getting from organic search. And what's going to happen over time as you do this is you're going to start to realize the types of content that you should be producing um, that's going to attract those people, you know, that you may or may not want. So um, at our agency, we focus on, you know, businesses, for example. Um, so you might not want... Um, people who are individuals uh, to, to be visiting your site or to be the ones reaching out to you. So you're going to have to think about how this applies to your own business and the people that you're trying to attract. But ultimately, um, you want to make sure, as I said, that the content that you're creating is attracting the right buyer to your website. So that's a little bit of an insight in terms of how we've been utilizing this and some of the results that we've seen. You were, you were getting results from your own agency. Correct, correct. Right. Yes, Eric. <laughs> What role do you see video playing in some of this content marketing that you're doing? That's a great question. Um, I think video needs to play a much bigger role than uh, it has in the past. Um, you know, I, I think just anecdotally, if anyone here you know, spends any time on Facebook or social media platforms, which I'm sure you all do, uh, and you're scrolling through your feed, the vast majority of it, and there are studies out there that support this as well, is video-based content. Um, I saw a statistic recently that video drives 74% of all internet traffic in general. So video is tremendously important. Um, obviously, the value of blogging and written content isn't going away right now because Google can't really interpret video as well as it can written content. So as much as it's about findability, written content is still valuable. But we look at, as, at it as you need to supplement that written content with engaging video as well. 
um, which you can utilize on social media platforms and you can utilize in other places uh, to make sure that you're engaging folks uh, in the ways that they like to engage, um, which a lot of time now is video. And you can use that as a gateway um, to bring people into your site and explore content in a deeper way. Thank you. <laughs> because we're podcasting. I, I know that the goal here is, uh, as you said at the beginning, to um, have customers find you. But what is, uh, what is your take on baiting the hook? In other words, uh, what are the best channels to use proactively to get your message out and get your content out, whether it's Facebook, whether it's direct email? What, what, what is your take on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so obviously, you know, this uh, strategy doesn't live in a vacuum. I think you're, you're spot on with that. And we really look at it as something that needs to be paired with other strategies as well. So you do want to still be proactively going out to media where your contacts, uh, where your potential buyers, excuse me, are spending a lot of their time. And you want to make sure that you're targeting them in all the right places. Um, so that might be on LinkedIn, that might be on Facebook. I can't say that um, for sure there's one network I would prioritize over another. It's going to depend on your buyer persona. Um, and Lindsay might touch on this again when she talks about audience. But you want to make sure that in terms of when you're interviewing those people who are your buyers, you're really asking them about how they, how they get their information, where they're spending their time, what newsletters they subscribe to. Um, and think about the things that they're already engaged with rather than trying to drive them necessarily to a new platform. That's going to take a little bit of time um, before you really become that resource. So try to think about pairing your strategy with that as well. You can also think about uh, the paid channel. Um, you know, think about utilizing advertising on Facebook, which is very effective, um, even LinkedIn. And think about reaching those folks, generating some quick wins, generating some visits, some traffic, and some leads, um, using some other mechanisms until you kind of build up that pipeline. Question Another back here. Question. Last question for this session. Good morning. Thank you, Justin. Um, question as a follow-up to the video question. So, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about there's different types of content. There's content that's meant to educate, to inform, as well as content that's meant to just entertain. And I wonder if at your agency, or if you do this, or recommend that you sort of map different content assets depending on someone is where they are on the buyer journey. So. You know, video was just an example that was offered, but there's things like infographics and how-tos and FAQs. Um, is it, uh, again, are, are you doing this or do you recommend that um, when you look at the buyer journey, there's perhaps some content types that might be more useful or engaging depending on where they are in their journey? Absolutely, so another great question. You guys are very awake this morning. Um, <laughs> So when I talked about the different stages in the buyer's journey, we, we do think it's very important to map the content that you're creating to these three key stages, essentially. So at the awareness stage, you really don't want to have something that is immediately selling uh, that person a solution. So at that point, they're doing some light research, and they're, they're just trying to identify uh, what some of their challenges are, what other people are talking about in relation to that. They're not going to necessarily want to sign up for a demo at that point. Um, you know, I get that all the time, and it's like, whoa, I'm, you know, I'm not ready for a demo right now. I was just trying to get some information. Um, so I think it's really important uh, to recognize that your buyer does need to sort of go through this process, and we all do it as well for different things that we're buying. 
Um, so create blog content, create things that are a little bit lighter touch for that person at the beginning of the funnel. And then as they move through, as you see them you know, engage with your content, you can think about something like an ebook or a white paper. Uh, maybe you get them to register for a webinar. It's a little bit more of a time commitment, but at that point they're already a little bit warm to your business and the content that you're offering. So I would definitely think about it in terms of that. Um, and then at the decision stage, maybe that is a point at which you, know, you offer them a demo, or you offer them uh, a consultation or uh, you know, a scorecard of some, of some sort. Whatever you think might be based on their challenges most valuable to them at that time. Um, you know, it's really key to remember that this whole process is about being helpful to the buyer. Um, that's really sort of how the, the script has flipped on salespeople. Uh, they're not the ones really in control of this anymore. The buyer is completely in control of the process. So we think it's really important to make sure that you're speaking to them uh, in their language at each stage of this process. Justin, that's really saying, is it not attract, attract engage, convert? Exactly. Way, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's okay. right. Good. Well, thank you very much, Justin. Oh, okay. We have one more time for. Uh, yes, another question. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we're doing most of everything that you talked about. The one thing that we're, I'm starting to consider lately is now the uprise in podcasts. Uh, <laughs> however, but to be honest with you, uh, you know, with resources as they are, where do you see podcasts being? I, I know you seem to be a fan, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> Um, but where do you see podcasts as the priority of all the other? There's video content, you know, should I wait on this? I might defer. <laughs> because honestly, I'm not, my question is whether podcasts is something we should be prioritizing over the other things or not. Justin? Because I don't know if I see a lot of people listening to podcasts as I, much as videos. I want to come back to your question when Steve speaks, because he's going to speak directly to that, and he's actually written a book on podcasting. So he's got a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> so hold, hold, hold that question, and we need to move the program along. Thank you, Absolutely. Justin. Thank you. OK, here we go. Now we have to get rid of Justin's slides. There we go. <laughs> there we go. And we're going to come back to slide. There we go. Hold on. Now. All right. Here we go. Okay. Ha. Step two. Know your audiences. Back it up one more time. Nope. Sorry. Back it up. I got up too early this morning. Okay. Know your audiences. This is so key. I don't know how many clients Assume they know who their audiences are, including the PRSANJ board, of which I am president. So guess what we're going to do this year? We're going to come up with a communication strategy. Imagine that. I said, we have to do for ourselves what we do for our clients, right? So Lindsay is an expert, and um, Lindsay has a lot of information in this area. She's the lead strategist for all agency brands, including, but not limited to, Nerf, Play-Doh, Hasbro Disney Toys, Play School, and Hasbro Gaming. I think she's got a great job, don't you? Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> so she works with the creative and account teams. She works with the clients. She's done large-scale digital first creative campaigns. She's done a lot of great stuff. She has an MA from Emerson College in Global Marketing, Communication, and Advertising. 
and she studied psychology when she was yeah. in un undergrad. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say to Lindsay, take it away. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so Consumer Insights is somewhere that I love. So we'll be taking you through a little bit about why research your audience. Justin touched on it a little bit. We'll expand a little bit more. I think the one thing that's so important um, that Chris mentioned is that all the time we fall into the trap of this, I know my audience. And so a lot of times, um, coming from an agency side, you'll have an expertise on certain brands and you always think, well, I know my audience. I reach out to them all the time. Um, nothing changes. I, I know who they are. Um, but they're so often, especially in the evolving landscape, that they fall into new platforms, uh, new media, and all of a sudden an audience that we thought we knew has completely changed in the last couple of months. So it's so important to really deep dive into your audiences consistently, especially with changing campaigns. Um, we have seen this really make an impact um, with the type of activities we use within our plans, but it also really helps with efficiencies, efficiencies for your agency or a company and efficiencies as well as targeting. So it's really important. So that when we're going through this today, we're gonna focus on three key elements. The first is defining your target. The second is gathering consumer insights, and the third is using those insights to inform the strategy, which is my favorite part. So um, first, we're defining your audience, and so this can go two ways. So if you're at an agency, a lot of times you'll get the audience from your clients, and you're like, great, this is my audience. Or if you're at a brand, um, you have a specific audience you reach all the time. But it's really important to really dive deeper in each campaign or each plan that you work on to really understand your audience in that moment. Um, so one example for us is millennial moms. I'm sure everyone here is about millennials. So we hear millennial moms, millennial moms, millennial moms every day of the week, and, which is great, but there's 15 million millennial moms in the US, right? So it's really hard for us to be able to like, dive into each campaign with a super broad audience. So what we like to do is take those 15 millennial moms and dig deeper and understand for our specific planner campaign, well, what does that mean from them? So we'll do archetype studies really understand um, our specific audience and see from the, the back end, what do we want our consumer to get out of this? Um, who is this person that's actually going to be speaking about our brand or buying our brand to really understand them? So as we go through those exploratories, now we have Millennial Mom, who is a foodie, um, but also on a budget. So now, while we're narrowing in on this target, which seems scary, because now you're bringing down your audience, you're actually opening up a ton of opportunities for research. So now you're not just researching the millennial mom, you're researching mom foodies, and now you have the opportunity to research moms on a budget. So now you have a lot more opportunities to expand your research. So as you're going through that, you'll go through it, you'll define this bigger audience that you have by narrowing in. That's when you start going into gathering consumer insights. So when we're thinking about gathering consumer insights, it is well known that all of our budgets are not going to gathering insights. All of our budgets are going toward the actual activation. So how do we do that? So you can do a lot of interviews and studies, but sometimes there's no budget to do that. So we have to be really scrappy. And so coming from small agencies my entire life, you have to be really scrappy. And so here's three examples of the way that I find the most successful to do that. So the first is studies. So if you have a governing association with the industries that you're a part of, or just research centers. So two of them I use a lot is Pew. 
Um, Pew is really helpful. I use them a lot for social insights to understand where my audience is. Another are things like L2 Think Tank. And so this is digitally focused, but it gives a really good understanding of industries overall. So you can get some research. This goes from hair care to CPG to toy, a lot of different places. But what's great is it is really expensive. And so getting their full studies are really expensive, but they try to deliver content to people. So they have snippets of some of their information within the studies that they put in articles. That's where you find those data, and it's free. Um, so looking at studies, another is articles. So this could be from your favorite business reads in the morning. So think of like the PR weeks of the world, ad weeks and ad ages. While they do have a lot of spotlights on different programs, they also do have a lot of studies within them from any of their sponsors who are doing advertorials. They'll provide a lot of research. One of my favorites recently is Ad Week just released, and they're starting to do this a lot a series of articles, and theirs was specifically on millennials. And so they had about five different articles that really focused in on the millennial target. And I can't tell you how much I was able to use that and a lot of my plans recently to kind of inform my strategy. And then finally, which is where you're going to find a lot of wealth of information, is social. So if you don't have time to interview people one-on-one -on -one or do kind of studies, you can go on Twitter, Instagram, using keywords, you are able to search a lot of behaviors of the consumer you're looking out of. So if I'm looking for millennial mom, I'm going on Twitter or Instagram and searching through those portals to understand, okay, if she's talking to parents, what is she talking about to other parents? What is she saying? If she's sharing articles, is she sharing articles on which topics? What can I, what kind of insights can I get from the topics that she's sharing about? And which outlets? Um, who do the outlets I re reach out to might be the outlets that she's actually sharing from. There's also a lot of insights you can gather um, from just the format of what she shares. Is she sharing video? Is that what she's consuming? Does she care about video? Does she care about articles? Is she sharing forum conversations? So there are so many insights, real-time insights you can gather just from searching on social media platforms um, from public profiles and be able to dig deeper into your consumer um, using keywords that are relative to you. Whether it's, if it's a foodie mom, maybe I'm looking for savings or food or whatever it happens to be, I can connect the dots and kind of fill it in there. There are tools out there. Um, we use Keyhole. Um, it's paid, it's cheap, um, but it provides a lot of data, but you could really be scrappy and just go on the social networks overall. So we went through the consumer insights, we use these studies, we use these articles, we use social, and now we have this data that we want to then mine to understand how we connect the dots. So this is, as I said before, my favorite part. So this is the matchmaking. So now we had all this data, and now we're gonna mine this data to matchmake it to your plan. And the one key thing I want to bring up, which is so vital to all of this, is how important it is to do this process before you create a plan. There are so many times where you create a plan and you try to back into your results by saying, this is what I think we should do, and now I'm going to search for information to prove that those things work. But before you even go into any brainstorming, before you go into planning, have these insights that we just talked about available so then you can brainstorm off of them, because that's what's going to be the most helpful to you. So, you have all this data, um, and then you're going to actually convert it into activation. So I'm going to use one example of a governing association um, that is looking to reach out to business executives because they want to be a leader in the space, and they want people to think that they're the authority. So for example, get a lot of data from it. Where do they consume media? So in this situation, we found that LinkedIn was where they are. They loved LinkedIn. That's where they want to be. So for us, our activation was great. So we will have the executives at the association create bylines on LinkedIn and target them to the business executives that they want them to read them. So now we are targeting directly on a platform that they love. 
newsletter. So we found that the executives love to read news in the AM. So sometimes you'd be like, okay, that's great. They love to read news in the morning. But for us, it's like, well, there's so many newsletters that come out that are just that AM digest newsletters. How can we be a part of that? And how can we be the first thing they read in the morning? So integrating it into there. And then podcasts, because this is the topic of the day. Um, podcasts, we, you know, we would have normally gone to the business associations um, or business outlets or business news media. But this new media of podcasts was something that they really, really liked. So for us, we didn't know that beforehand. And it actually changed some of our strategy in order to focus some of our efforts on getting podcasts and getting the executives from our association on uh, the podcast to speak to other business executives. And then there's also format. So what do they like to consume media? How do they like to consume it? So from us, you see trends overall that say video. Video is king, video is great. And video is great, except for when your target doesn't prefer video. And in this case, some of the business executives actually preferred long-form articles. Long-form articles. So for us, that really helped us be able to say, great, so we'll work to get long-form articles. But then, when we talk about how they like to consume data, they don't want just the percentages or data inside the articles. They want it to look pretty. They want data visualization. They want infographics. They want charts. They want graphs. So for us, that also defined how we were gathering assets. So we're no longer putting just assets in text form. We're now going to create an infographic to be able to display that, because we know that they're going to want to use that, and they're going to look to that instead. And then what content is attracted to them overall? So this is about adapting your messaging as well. So is the target that you're looking for, do they like humor? What kind of messaging is attractive to them? What's going to pull them in? Um, one example in this scenario is case studies. They really liked case studies. So why we would have taken all the, the association had so much research, and so we would have been piling everything into research, um, we realized they, the research is great, but they like to see the research in action. So we instead were able to use different companies that the association worked with to then work on plans to create really great successful campaigns. We use those campaigns as our story instead of the research that was done ahead of time. So really was able to take all those insights and from a plan that we would have created from the beginning that focuses on you know, the business outlets, the trades, we were able to create a real custom plan specifically for that campaign and for that client to bring it to life. And so as we went through those three processes, we had the defining your target, we had gathering the insights and then bringing them into strategy. And I think overall we have seen that creating these custom plans based on audiences has really created more successful campaigns for us than just going into it with a gut instinct of, I think I know, I think I know. Great. Great. Thank you. Anyone have any questions? <laughs> Questions? Back of the room? Making me work. <laughs> Great Hi, thank you. Hi. Um, I was wondering about uh, one thing we're trying to do. I'm with Rutgers University Foundation, and so we're a fundraising organization, nonprofit, but we're looking to do some kind of, and I don't know what the term for this is, but it's, it's like value-added content, like mm -hmm. you link to other, like, like I subscribe to the New York Times and every yep. few days they send me a digest of what their reporters are reading and other or listening to in other media and we're looking to do something like that where we would link to you know like hey this might be of interest this would be to our audience say this is of interest to you or maybe and it's a way of keeping the Rutgers brand in front of people but it's not like a direct 
ask or a direct, you know, hey, look at us. It's more like you may be able to use this. Do you have any yeah. thoughts about that? Or I, I think it depending on the audience and what your audience prefers and likes, it could be smart. So there's a lot of time where you're going to, as a brand or a, a company, put content from you, so a lot of owned content, but there's nothing wrong with then sharing content from others to then support yourself as an authority um, or to share things that you like as a brand to show more of the personality of the brand or the persona of who you are as Rutgers and just showing, showing a bigger circle and wealth of information. Um, I think if strategically done, um, it could actually help bolster um, your content strategy. Um, and again, it really depends, and I think Justin talked about this as well, it depends on what your audience likes to see and if that's content that they want to consume or they're interested in. And it also depends on the content you're sharing from others as well. Um, but sometimes it's really hard for people to just get news from you, 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 you all the time. So a lot of times it's really great to get different perspectives in there um, and kind of share the wealth across the board. Thank you. That, that's, that's a really great point. You don't have to create all your own content. Yeah. You can curate other people's content, and it's just as valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, it's, it's, it can definitely be a, a good strategy. Especially if you're a brand and people trust brands to a certain degree, but you can say that your product or your company is great, and that's great, but sometimes they just they don't want to hear from you all the time either. Yeah. <laughs> they would like to hear from someone else about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a question. Um, what you both have presented is, is amazing. Um, it, it, but it's also overwhelming. I think there might be a lot of people here thinking, with the staff that I have, with the size of organization I have, how the heck can I do all this stuff, right? So uh, can, can you address that issue? Yeah. Um, so same boat. Um, so don't have a lot of resources. Um, so for us, it's taking all of that and really putting it into a manageable perspective. And so. I'll give you one example. If we're, we're working on plans, right? So we're working on plans for our clients and we want to be able to use a lot of this research before we even start brainstorming with the team. This could literally be, and this is literally what I do, um, I feel like I'm a Google search expert. Um, so you go, like it's going in for an hour or two in Google, going through um, different studies or articles or searching your topic and it could be a one pager of information that you get. It could be really manageable and small, but even the smallest pieces of information, it could be two articles, it could be one study that you find, could help inform an entire strategy. So you don't have to conduct interviews and go real big. You can literally just find one study online that you can use a wealth of information for. And what's great about that and doing so is that when you're presenting it or you're showing your end result, you can say, this is gonna work because I found this. So it's as simple as just finding one piece of information or one study that can help bolster it. So um, it, it, small resources, big resources, it's completely scalable. And, and Justin, on strategy, um, I, I'm sure a lot of people work for organizations that don't really understand the importance of strategy because like you've both said, they assume they know their audience, right? So how do you move people from, I don't understand strategy and I, I don't want to deal with it to this is important? Yeah, I think it's, uh, as Lindsay was just mentioning, you know, it's starting small. Um, we, we look to leverage free tools whenever they're available as well. So you don't have to purchase, uh, you know, a platform that is tens of thousands of dollars to be effective with this stuff. Um, as long as you're thinking strategically, you go into it with the mindset, like Lindsay mentioned, of not thinking you necessarily know everything about your audience from the beginning. 
Um, you conduct some level of research, and then you just uh, begin implementing it because, you know, I think this was mentioned earlier, but clients don't typically want to spend their budget on planning. So, you know, they want to spend it on implementation. Um, so getting started, showing some quick wins, um, focusing on one aspect of it. There's going to be a ton of topics, probably, that your audience is interested in hearing about. You can't cover them all. Um, so what's going to be the most impactful, what's going to be the most effective, and what ties most directly to uh, what it is your company is trying to achieve. And then, you know, hopefully the marriage of those two things will allow you to get started, show some value, and then build from there. Great. Look, I want to thank you both. Lindsay, great presentation. Um, I, I just want to add to what Justin said, which is you can start small. I, I, I used to give my clients, you know, eight pages of a, a strategy, and one page will do it. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to move on to a related topic, um, and this is keywords. Um, okay, let's keep going here. Okay. So, what are the key words you use to develop your messages for your audiences that will resonate with them? Okay, now my, my, my favorite example here is, is uh, tight jeans or skinny jeans. Okay, now I need a volunteer for this, and, and you'll get one of these wonderful red pens, okay? If you want to sell those form-fitting jeans, what are you going to put in your messaging, your digital messaging? Are you going to put tight jeans or skinny jeans? I need a volunteer. Okay, come on, get your pens uh, later, okay? <laughs> right, skinny, skinny. And um, so that's important to remember. What are the words people use? Because that's how they search online. So one of the things I have discovered over the years, by the way, 12 million results for tight and 116 million for skinny, that tells the story, right? Okay. So there's another thing you can do, which is you can use a, a double survey technique developed by a guy called Jerry McGovern. Um, but, and um, <clears throat> first I want to say this. I used to work for an employer, New Jersey Business and Industry Association, and there was a top executive who I said, you know, I think it's time for a membership needs assessment survey. And, um, and so did the marketing person, she said. And he said, no, no, I know what our 20,000 member companies in every possible industry think. Okay, no, you don't, <laughs> right? He didn't. But there came time for me to do a website for them, um, and not the technical aspect, you know, content, user experience, all that kind of thing. Um, I said, well, can I do a web content survey? Find out what our members want to find in the way of content on our new website, and he said, sure. Well, that was also a membership needs assessment survey. He just didn't think that through. <laughs> so, but here's, where, here's what I did. I used this survey technique, which I got from listening to Jerry McGovern, who's Irish, and he says, he doesn't say 33, he says 33. <laughs> he's very Irish, and he's very good at what he does. And he does um, all kinds of surveys for multinational corporations so he can redesign their websites. So these, he calls them care words because it's the words your customers use to talk to products, services, expertise they care about as opposed to organization-centric language, which a lot of us big institutions fall into. We see the world a certain way from our little bureaucratic organization, but people in the outside world talk about things differently. Um, so uh, two surveys. First one, lots of open-ended questions. 
So you get their words about what their preferences are for web content, right? In their words. And then you come up with 20, 30, maybe even 60 preferences. Well, that's too many. If you put 60 jars of jam out on a table and ask people to pick their favorite jam, they'll just walk away. It's too big a task, right? So what you do is you conduct then a second survey with those preferences and have that same pool of survey recipients rank them. So they rank, and you might end up with the top six, let's say, the top six preferences. And according to Mr. McGovern from his studies, that those top things will deliver 25% of the value you get from your website and your digital, digital communications. So this is what I did for BIA. I asked Jerry McGovern how much he would charge us, and I said, I'll do it myself, thank you. <laughs> so here we are, and um, when, when, when we were done, what was the one thing our members wanted the most of all, right? Information about laws and regulations affecting my business, right? I mean, this is New Jersey after all. We are a regulatory crazy state. And, uh, and people have a lot of trouble in their business keeping up with all this stuff. Now here's the, here's the um, sea change that occurred, right? We're lobbying organizations. I still say we. I worked there for 20 years, so forgive me. NJBA is a lobbying organization, right? We had eight high-paid lobbyists. They all made more than I did. <laughs> and we used to crow in our communications, crow about our successes in the legislature. We got this pro-business legislation passed, or we, you know, we stopped, stopped this anti-business legislation and so forth. But as far as our members were concerned, all politicians are corrupt, right? I'm sure some of you think that way. So we were just, you know, we were just pandering and prostituting ourselves like everyone else has to do as a lobbyist. They didn't care about that. They wanted to know what the effect of these laws and regulations after they were implemented, what the effect would be on them. So as I like to put it, they were interested in the legal and regulatory shit after it hit the fan, not before it hit the fan. Okay, this was a, this was a big eye-opener. We had started moving in this direction. But when we saw this, we realized we were missing the boat in our content. What we needed to do was create programs and content online that would help people deal with these laws and regulations. And so I created a resource center when I redid the website in eight different topic areas. This is the most important one, employment and labor law. It's very difficult to manage. Um, and here we have, you see right here, these are called fast facts. There's about 20 of them just in employment and labor law. Like how, how do you hire someone who's got a criminal conviction? When can you, you know, if you don't handle it right, they can sue you. If you and uh, pregnancy accommodations and discrimination protections. Employer posting on the right to be free of gender inequity. I mean, this goes on and on and on. These fast facts are written by experts for businesses so they know what they have to do. Um, they read the website again. I disagree with how they did it, but I don't work there anymore. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but they kept the resource section, and now they also have a, a member action center where you can actually get legal help from people that we've um, screened. Uh, so this was a, that was just a big change from doing a survey and understanding keywords, laws and regulations affecting my business. Next, we're going to talk about storytelling is at the heart of brand journal journalism it's all about telling great stories 
to attract and engage your target audiences. Am I right, Justin? Absolutely. Am I right, Lindsay? Yes. Oh, then I will proceed. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to ask a question. And again, I, I, you know what? I, <clears throat> I really I brought all these wonderful pens. You didn't get one at the board meeting? Okay, there's Angelica there from our board, and we also have Deirdre here I from our it board. Out. Now look, um, it says PRSANJ, think big. Okay, now I bought these for the board for my first meeting that I was leading to get them excited, give them to their children. Children love them. If you don't have children, it might make your inner child very happy, okay? So come get a pen um, before you leave. Um, okay, so what is effective storytelling? I, I'd like some people to venture a guess. Oh, is it going to start it again? Humanizing the story? Humanizing the story, absolutely. Um, that's a core right there, yes. Taps into an emotion, thank you. Taps into an emotion, very important. Yes? Often uh, problem and solution. Problem and solution. People overcoming obstacles, right? A any good detective movie, what's it about? People overcoming obstacles, yes? Uh, you went to this conference. Moving someone enough to take action. Moving someone to take action. Okay, so you start by attracting them to the story, then you can engage them and to take Mr. action. Mr. President. That's correct. Yes. Oh. You want to use this or you want to use no. that? Okay, I'm going to use this. Okay. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. I, I am not a technical guy. I'm a creative guy. So this is, there we go. There it is. It's effective storytelling. It's written in a compelling narrative style, right, that grabs your attention. It's about people to whom your, your uh, readers can relate. Um, it speaks directly to your target audiences about overcoming the obstacles they face and includes, every, anyone heard of William Strunk, The Elements of Style? Yes, Bible of Good Writing, glad to hear it. Get it? William Strunk, Elements of Style. Uh, short sentences, short words, short paragraphs, subheads and simple layouts, less is more. Although this always, does not always apply to my academic clients. <laughs> and um, includes eye-catching photos and graphics, okay? Relevant to the topic. So, I'm gonna give you examples. I want someone to come up here, please, and read this to me. Volunteer, volunteer, come on, go ahead, please. No, no, I want you to come right up here and, and read it. How close? Uh, as close as you'd like to be. That's close I enough. Okay, read it. All right, success story, CDM Electronics Certified Production Skills, CPT, and Customized Soldering Training. Do I have you engaged? Yes. CDM Electronics specializes in providing interconnect products and value-added cable assemblies to leading military Okay, stop, stop, I can't take it anymore, stop. I'm doing Sorry. the best I can No, no, you've done a great job, All but right. don't go away, don't go away, okay. Oof. Okay, so the client sent me this, right? Said, that was the lead. <laughs> Said, can you make a story out of this? Okay, so now could you please read what the, the simple story I wrote. New Jersey's Advanced Manufacturing Training Initiative prepares three new employees hired by CDM Electronics. New Jersey resident Derek Harvey saw little future in his former off-and-on-again job as a temporary non-union cement mixer. 
Today, thanks to a big boost from New Jersey's Advanced Manufacturing Training Initiative, Harvey's been lifted out of that rut. Along the way, he has discovered his previously unexplored potential as a certified production technician and solderer. Thank you, that's fine. Okay, is that better? Okay, simple, right? But employers, my, this is my workforce training client, right? So they have two big audiences, employers who need workers with skills and job seekers who need jobs and need training to get new jobs. Those are their two audiences. These stories speak to both. And the nice thing is, here's another simple story I wrote about Melissa Hartpence from uh, South Plainfield High School getting a big boost in her career with Turtle and Hughes, which is uh, electrical products distributor. And um, I don't, do I need both? I don't need both, do I? Thank you. Um, so, so I wrote this article. I, I go there. I take pictures, too. I write the articles. My clients love them. Okay, I'm happy. But guess what? They get results. That's a simple story about one employer's success. Another employer read the article, this one in a magazine. These articles are published in a magazine and online. And the inquirer said, I saw an article on basic computer skills that Turtle and Hughes has hosted. We need the same thing for our company. And the reaction from my client, Chris, could you send us the published version of Turtle and Hughes advertorial, please? These things work. <laughs> there you go. That's what you need. It's, it's in a sense, that simple. Uh, and, but it's, it's not that alone. It's very important to have a call to action feature, which you both talked about, right? If you're going to engage people, then you've got to give them somewhere to go, something to do. Really, websites today are all about task completion, am I right? So having difficulty finding qualified workers to hire, ready to work can help you. Well, there you go, okay? Um, so we always put these with the stories. Uh, okay, I'm providing one more example about who wants to come up and read this? Okay, Sean. Hey, Sean. Speak up now. <laughs> you go up closer now. Okay. <laughs> On October 1st, our company will adopt ICD 10 as part of the government mandate to use this more specific set of codes to label medical diagnoses and procedures. <laughs> This change aligns. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So this example was provided by Reagan Communications, which does a lot of brand journalism, and um, <clears throat> this was put out by a big medical group to their employees. You treat your employees the way you treat your target audiences, like real people, right? And humanize the things you send to them. So okay, th this kid's about to fall asleep after reading that. Now, Kaiser Health News. They've got real reporters working for them. Look, how they, look what they did with this. Pecked by a chicken, sucked into a jet engine. There's a code for that. So if you're struck by an orca, sucked into a jet engine, or having relationship problems with your in-laws, fear not, your doctor now has a medical diagnosis code for that. Doesn't that draw you right in? Issue. Uh, today, U.S. doctors, hospitals, and health insurers must start using the ICD-10, a vast new set of alphanumeric codes describing diseases and injuries in unprecedented detail. And yes, they do have a code for getting sucked into a jet engine, but Superman looks like he might make it out. <laughs> 
So I, I just want to provide that as one more example. Um, okay, now, that's the end of my presentation. Am I doing right? Oh, good, okay. Any questions about creative storytelling? Let me ask a question. How many people in this audience consider themselves creative writers? Good, good. That's an unusual number. Um, so um, that, that's the key. You've got to have people who can write and write creatively. Uh, Sean and I have worked on some blogs together about the town where I live, Morristown. They've been a lot of fun. Um, so uh, just, just so you know, if you don't have a writer, get a writer or hire a writer, okay? Oh, by the way, speaking of writers, Patty O'Brien here is, was my guest, is helping me out today. Uh, she is a writer, an editor, a proofreader. She does a, done a lot of proofreading for, for my longer stories for, for my clients. And um, so you can hire someone to write too. And uh, she's relatively reasonable. Okay. <laughs> okay, next we get to support and leverage your creative content with powerful tools, videos, podcasts, blog posts, search, blogs in quotation marks. Why is that? Search engine optimization, online news hubs, social media influencers. And that guy right there is, of course, this guy right here, Steve Lubetkin. I've worked with Steve for four years now. Uh, he's done uh, websites for me. He's done video for me. Uh, he's a terrific um, audio and video guy and does wrote, written a book on, on, on um, podcasts. It's there it here. is. He's got it. Okay. He knows his stuff. And now he's like me. He's come back full circle. He's back in journalism, yeah. except he's not doing it for a newspaper or a radio. He's doing it for his clients. For like I and do. for the web. And for the web. Right. So, it um, pays about as much as it did 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, and he's also an APR and a member of the College of Fellows. And he served for three years on the PRSA Board of National Directors. And I give you Steve. Okay, Steve? There it is. Yay. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Chris. So um, I got into the audio and video side of things sort of through the back door. I started my career as a, uh, a, a broadcast journalist. I was a radio announcer and production engineer in Monmouth County. And then I, I took a backwards path. Most people went from print journalism to broadcast journalism. I went, I went back the other way. I went from radio into print and then ended up in PR because you can be in radio as a newscaster or you can buy groceries, but you can't do both. And so when I got into public relations, um, you know, I realized that there was life after journalism, and now, you know, 40 plus years later, I'm back. But I do have a tribute to, there are a few, it looks like baby boomers in the room besides myself. Raise a show of hands, any baby boomers? Okay, that's, that's more than I thought. Uh, late Gen Xers, you know, or early, you know, the early Gen Xers, the ones who are, yeah, okay, right. So, so the tribute to you guys is that I've been using technology for a really long time, and anybody who tells you that boomers don't understand technology doesn't know what they're talking about, because um, in 1977, 40 years ago last month, these guys played at English Town Raceway in Middlesex County, the Grateful Dead. Anybody know the Grateful Dead? Yeah. That's my backstage pass from that concert. I was sent to that concert by the Asbury Park Press 
which in a fit of early technology adoption thought that I and the other reporter they sent should report on the concert using a portable computer. That's the, <laughs> we actually took this to the concert and they were, they were airlifting journalists into the concert venue. We had to go to the, what is now a Holiday Inn Express at exit eight on the Jersey Turnpike and they put us on a helicopter with that thing and about another 20 pounds of cables to go with it because remember this is 1977, there was no Wi-Fi, there was no internet as we know it today. We had to find a place, and, and this did not run on batteries. So we had to find A, a place to plug it into AC power, and B, that AC power had to be near a telephone because it came with a suction cup thing called an acoustic coupler. Now some of the baby boomers will remember what that looks like. You took the handset of the phone and stuck it into these suction cups and that's how you transmitted your data over the phone line. And it took us a few tries. Now we're in a, a sea of 110,000 people, mostly people in a very mellow mood, <laughs> um, trying to find a place that has a phone and an, an AC power and we managed to find it. Um, and ultimately transmit the story back to uh, the newspaper. But, um, you know, it's a very early use of technology, which I always use to remind people when they tell me that, you know, boomers don't, don't really get this stuff. Um, but talking about online content, we had a question earlier about do people really listen to podcasts? This is the trend. Um, Edison Research has been doing this um, they call it the infinite dial survey, and they're doing all kinds of um, research on audio and video consumption online. And what they're seeing is very dramatic increases in the number of people who report listening to online radio or audio or video podcasts, whatever you want to call it. There are many different ways to capture it, uh, and it's just going to continue to grow. When I started my business 13 years ago almost, um, I had to spend a lot of time explaining to people what a podcast was. Um, you don't have to do that anymore. Um, my, my older daughter is driving around in a car that has the vanity plate, because it used to be my car, has the vanity plate podcast. And for the longest time when we first got the plate, you know, people would stop her at a red light and say, what does that mean? What's a podcast? They don't do that anymore. They all get it. They smile approvingly. Um, they think it's cool. You know, I think it's cool too. But uh, the importance for you guys is that there are many different ways that people want to consume content. And of course, everybody loves video. Everybody wants to have a video. That's usually what we hear. We want to have a video, a video on our website. And what I say to them is, no, you don't want a video. You want a video initiative. If you're going to do video, you can't just do one and be done. You have to be constantly producing. And the same thing is true of audio. You need to be producing this content on a regular basis, repeatedly, regularly, and have good quality content that people want to consume. Um, for the millennials particularly, you know, they want content when they want it. They don't want it when you want to give it. So a lot of clients come to us and say, we want to do a webinar. And I say, well, that's fine, but are you going to charge for the webinar? And they say yes. And I say, well, if you charge for the webinar, probably most people will not sign up. They won't buy a webinar. Okay, then we'll do it for free. Well, if you do it for free, you've got this enormous overhead of registering people for the webinar, sending out emails to get them to register, collecting all that stuff, sending instructions to connect to the webinar, and then spending the first 20 minutes of the webinar explaining to them how to use the controls on the webinar. Um, now, if you do it for free, you'll get 150 people sign up. And then Thursday at 2 p.m. comes, and what happens? The boss comes in your office at, you know, 1.55 and says, I need you to work on this contract. 
and the person had signed up for your free webinar and says, oh, well, I can't go to the webinar. So you usually end up with a much smaller number of people. But for millennials, my, again, my older daughter, when she and her girlfriend used to uh, have a regular Wednesday night dinner and will watch Big Brother, it wasn't on that night. They were DVRing it and watching it when it was convenient for them. And that's what millennials do a lot, is they want it when they want it. If they want to listen to your content at 2 in the morning, you better have content available at 2 in the morning. So that's why podcasts are particularly useful for that audio consumption. And by the way, they're really useful for commuters who are driving in cars, because we certainly don't want people in cars watching your video <laughs> if they're driving. Um, I was on the turnpike a, a few months ago. You know, the, uh, the big overpass that comes from the uh, Lincoln Tunnel going up, you know, over the Meadowlands and coming down into Newark. And on that overpass, I looked in the left lane, there was a woman driving the car, and she had a bowl of noodles, which she was eating with chopsticks. <laughs> you don't want to see that. Um, so, as I say, you know, people are way more familiar with podcasting than they were maybe five or six years ago. They get it, and it's become a lot easier to listen to them. There are a lot of different venues for people to place their podcasts. Um, there are a lot of ways for people to download them and capture them so they can listen to them at their convenience. It's just become a lot easier than it used to be. It used to be the only thing you could do was iTunes. Or if you were a little bit technologically adept, you could download the audio file and then copy it from your computer onto whatever device you were using. But it wasn't that easy. Now it's a lot easier. Um, and, you know, video is the same thing. People are still, you know, consuming online video. Many of you and your colleagues are thinking about producing video yourselves, and, you know, there are certainly ways you can learn how to do it, and the tools are relatively inexpensive to do it. I'd encourage you to learn how to do it well, because one of the things that we see constantly, whether it's uh, audio or video or photography, is that people do them as almost an afterthought to their brand. And, you know, you spend an enormous amount of money on your logo and on your stationery and on designing your business cards. Um, it's almost as if you decided to just get out a box of crayons when you get to <laughs> audio and video because some of the stuff we see is incredibly um, damaging, let's say, to the brand. Uh, poor lighting, poor sound quality, um, poor photography composition, all those things. So I encourage you to get someone who knows how to do it to teach you how to do it before you do it. So why do we need to do it? Um, how many of you know what that logo is? Interesting, okay. Are, is there anybody here, let me just, people may be embarrassed to say they know it. Is there anybody here who doesn't know what it is? Wow, okay, yeah, this is, getting, this is one that gets bigger and bigger. I used to ask people, how many people here have an email address? And, you know, 15 years ago, very few hands went up. That's a ridiculous question today, right? But I show this, when I have a group that typically includes millennials because they've never used this. This is the logo for what used to be called the Yellow Pages. It was a book that you used to look up businesses you wanted to do business with. And their tagline was, let your fingers do the walking, right? The only thing millennials know, now, oh, and by the way, to, to be visible in the search in the Yellow Pages, what did you do? You named your company AAAAA Exterminators. <laughs> Because how did the Yellow Pages organize the exterminators? It was alphabetical order by the name of the company. Okay, so millennials never use this anymore. This is what they use. 
And the purpose of doing anything that has to do with social media, whether it's blogs or Facebook, not so much Facebook, but you know, all of the stuff that you're doing is to get you visibility in that, the Google search. Um, and I found this out the hard way. A few years ago I was working, some of you may know Mike Cherenson from Success Communications. Uh, Mike tapped me to work with him on the Walmart account in New Jersey. And initially the assignment was basically to go to the store openings and handhold the media who came to cover the store openings. And of course as the media went into this nosedive, fewer and fewer media people were actually showing up at the store openings. And Walmart does a wonderful job, by the way. The store opening is a very formal process. They have, they usually invite the mayor and some of the local uh, first responders. They give them big checks for the charities. Uh, they hire the high school marching band um, to come in and play. They get the cheerleaders to do the Walmart cheer. You know the Walmart cheer? I'll, I'll, I'll start it for you and you can figure the rest out. Give me a W. And they do all that, but no, but no media were showing up. So I said, I have to continue to make myself relevant or Mike is not going to want to pay me for my services. So I started bringing my video gear to the events and reporting on them as if I was Channel 6. Up here, it's Channel 7. Um, I would interview the mayor. I take pictures of the ribbon cutting. I did the stand-ups. I interviewed people in the store, showed the marching band and the cheerleaders, and wrapped it up into, into a nice little video news story. And we posted it on a blog we created for them, because at the time, Walmart didn't have a place to put it on their website. So I was thinking like a PR person. I put these things on YouTube, and then put them on the blog, and it would say, um, you know, for more I was thinking the media were going to call me. For more information, call Steve Lubetkin. Here's the phone number. And all of a sudden, the phone starts ringing, and I'm going, Lubetkin Communications, and they go, oh, I thought this was Walmart, what time does the pharmacy close? <laughs> and this happened a lot of times, so I finally started asking people, why do you think you're calling Walmart? And they said, well, I googled the store and this is what came up. <laughs> I mean, literally, I went back and I realized they were googling Walmart Deptford, which is a South Jersey location of the store, and the first thing that was coming up in the search for Walmart was the video we shot. So they saw a phone number and they didn't even read that it said it was not the store. So I immediately changed all the meta, metadata around these videos. The store is located at and the phone number is. And the call stopped. And that's when I said, this is really something. This is powerful. These videos, and if you go and when you go home, your assignment is Google Walmart Deptford. It's D-E-P-T-F-O-R-D. And to this day, the videos we shot there six years ago, they're not on page one anymore, they're on page three, but after six years, they're still on page three. <laughs> um, but, the, but what Walmart did after that was, because it's a rounding error on Walmart, is they hired a bunch of out-of-work broadcast journalists around the country and created something called Walmart Community on YouTube. And they're posting five or six news stories a day just like that. You know, we didn't get that contract. Um, so, so we call it Be the Media. Um, Tom Foremsky, who used to write for the Financial Times and is now the Silicon Valley Watcher blog, uh, coined the term, every company is a media company. And it's really true. You have to go out and report the stories as if you are the news media, not send out a press release. Um, don't send a press release to the media and say, if you want a photo, let me know. Send the photo or put up a newsroom that has the photo where you can get it at 2 in the morning when you're writing the story. You know, make it easy for the people. So we started producing these video news wrappers, we call them. It's an old term from my radio days. 
because you're wrapping the story around the reporter narrating and explaining it. A lot of the newspapers are doing videos and they've got this style that doesn't include anybody explaining what you're seeing, which I find kind of wrong. I'm an old news guy, so you know, I kind of want somebody to say, tell me what I'm seeing, explain to me why this story is significant, don't just show me the pictures. Um, we cover press conferences, you can do this yourself. It's surprising to me how many people do live events that they were trying to attract people to and don't make provisions to do what we're doing today, to either record a podcast for f future consumption or to record video. Those things can all be leveraged with the media, with other clients and the people that you want to reach, your target audiences. If you have them available, people will be grateful. Um, and then there's broadcast operations. Literally, um, this is a bank in Denmark called Jiskabank, which created a TV website. They've got freelance crews in New York reporting on business news. They want to be the Bloomberg of Europe. It's a bank. They have a world-class TV broadcast facility that the Danish public broadcasters came in to inspect. They wanted to see what they had built. Um, and they go on the air a, a lot <laughs> uh, with, with experts and commentary and stuff. Um, so we do, uh, we do some work for news media. We do uh, reporting live, not live, but on tape for NJ Spotlight. I've done audio podcasts for them, and uh, we do a lot of video for them. But the importance is it leverages the content for future use, for future consumption. Um, the Founder Factory is a, uh, an annual conference of a group of uh, tech startups in Philadelphia called Philly Startup Leaders. And uh, we have done about four years, we haven't done it in a couple of years, but we've done four years of this entire seminar. The guy that you see talking by himself, uh, the older gentleman, is uh, Julian Brodsky, who helped found Comcast with Ralph Roberts. And if you want to see me afterwards, I can tell you a real interesting story about how they got to Comcast, how it became Comcast. Um, we've done some testimonial videos for Unity Bank, and we're doing some for Amboy Bank. Um, these are great for the for the uh, company to show how they work with their clients and how their clients feel about them and doing business with them. Um, I have a modest TV studio in my basement. When I tell people I have a TV studio at home, I sometimes get the roll of the eyes like, oh yeah, this guy thinks he has a TV studio. So I, I keep the picture in there so you, you can see that I, it, I really do have a TV studio and credit goes to Tom Gozik, my son-in-law, who's a commercial contractor and built it for me. Um, but it's, a, it's the real deal. And uh, we do stuff in there, interviews, and uh, we, we even have a teleprompter. If somebody wants to come in and do a teleprompter speech, we can do that. Um, and that's what it looks like after we take out the green screen and put the people in a nice studio background. So it looks pretty realistic. We try to make it look as real as possible. Um, I've done a lot of these news wrappers for different organizations. Um, that's Jim Maley, who's the mayor of uh, Collingswood down in South Jersey. I'm standing there on the upper right in front of a house that was once owned by the mobster Albert Anastasia, which I got a tour of because they were auctioning it off. Uh, it's a fascinating house. And uh, you know, just all kinds of stories. Everything that your company is doing, down the lower, lower left-hand corner, this fella is a feng shui expert. He's an architect who became trained as a feng shui expert because Roseland Development, the subsidiary of Mac Kelly that does uh, high-end luxury apartments, built an apartment in, um, this is in Weehawken, that they wanted to have the feng shui done to it to make sure that the energy was right. And so he actually came out and did a demonstration of the feng shui ceremony for me and explained it. So, you know, whatever you are doing or creating in the company can become fodder for this kind of content production. 
Um, I'm on streaming internet radio now. A friend of mine that I used to work in radio with started doing a live show every day, and he called me up and said, I want you to be my newscaster. So I'm back doing radio news again on the internet. It's, it's a completely different world, but that's another market that you ought to be thinking about for your news is to record stuff so that there's audio that you can feed to guys like me for the newscast, because it's just like the old days when we used to feed it over the telephone to newscasters. Um, you know, you need to make it available in multiple media outlets. So that's it. Um, you can read more about how I approach content strategy. It's a bit.ly, uh, bit.ly link, being the media. Um, you can talk to me. Um, that's our website. And that's, oops. So there you are. That's me. Thanks a lot. Did I talk fast enough? Yeah. Okay. Oh, now, Steve. All right. Don't go too far. Um, just 30 seconds. Uh, one, one of the, the key things to do in building a brand journalism enterprise is to have an online news hub. Now, there's a lot of ways to do this. You can actually, <clears throat> actually just use it like a WordPress theme and put your fresh content on the home page. Don't bury your news stories. Make them prominent, because this is what is going to capture people's attention. Steve uses a, a WordPress theme uh, that uses a magazine-style uh, format, right? Yeah, one of the things I, you know, a lot of people when they install WordPress, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, yeah. but when, when they install WordPress, the default configuration of WordPress puts a blog on the front page, and what you end up with is just a endless you know, scroll of stories that aren't really well organized. What the magazine or news themes do is let you organize your content into category buckets. And then you can organize a layout that looks more like a newspaper. And that's what I've done with my website, uh, is to not put a welcome message on the home page. I think that's kind of a waste today. The, the value of you know, a website is to show people the work that you're doing, show them the content that you have available to them. Great. So thank, the thank you, Steve. And, and sure. I've, I've been asking Steve to do one for me for free. We're still negotiating after two <laughs> years. <laughs> Depends on how many books I sell. Okay. So uh, let me just see now. Back up. Hold on. Ah, what did I do? I don't know. Okay, hold on. Let me back up. I'm going forward. It has been a long day. Okay. Okay. 30 seconds on blogs. What's the difference between a blog and a blog? Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna off Steve tell us. What's the difference between a personal blog and a blog platform? So um, most people, again, when they set up the default configuration of a, of a system like WordPress, it lays out the, these default categories, one of which is called blog. And people feel immediately compelled that they have to start opining on all kinds of issues. And you can do that if you want. You can have a blog, you know, Steve's blog or Chris's blog or whatever you call it, and talk about issues and give your opinion. Or you can do what I tried to do and encourage my clients to do, which is leverage the blog publishing technology of WordPress to publish stories and to categorize those stories by topic areas and then use the theme to organize the topic areas into what looks like a newspaper or a magazine. 
Uh, that, to me, is the value of the blogging platform. Not so much, I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of opinions, but I mostly scream them at the TV at night. Um, you know, that's, right. that's really what I, what I advocate. Is so, use, it, use it as a news right. tool, not as a blog and, tool. And if you want to be found on the search engines, you need to put your stories on a blog platform. It's a dynamic, interactive page of a website. Um, and um, there's a lot of different platforms for it. Uh, Steve and I prefer WordPress. It's done wonders for us. So that's just something to keep in mind. Okay. And we did that. Now, quickly, this is the end. Secrets. I'm going to come full circle now. Okay. We're going to talk about uh, secrets of SEO. Because what you want to do, really, with all this is get to the top of search engine rankings when people type in the keywords that you've researched that bring them right to your content. Right? Because you've, done, you've written the stories right, they're compelling, search engines love them, they bring them to the top of search engine rankings. So you write new style stories, use the right keywords and headlines, subheads, captions, and SEO plugins. Uh, make sure it's on a blog platform. Follow the current rules of SEO, which are not as difficult as a lot of people might think. And continually post fresh quality content. Remember, you don't have to write it all yourselves. You can also curate content that other people have created. And that will bring you to the top of search engine rankings. Here's a real life example of SEO success from my largest client. This is a Rutgers Homeland Security Group. Uh, they do research. They use big data analysis to help with Homeland Security, like stadium security, prevention of sex trafficking of children, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, and it's called cicada, and they have the cicada insect next to it, which is spelled as long as one C. There's a connection, believe me, but these are academics, you know. You don't know where their minds go, but they, they like this little insect on their website. But the important thing about their website, this is a category on the blog platform in WordPress, stadium and large venue security. This is their largest area of expertise. Um, and what I do for them is I take these really boring academic research projects and turn them into interesting stories that people can read to understand it. And also the search engines love this stuff. I will show you. Um, I've written 14 stories for them in new style, following all the SEO rules everything else, um, on this topic. You enter I did this yesterday, and I used an incognito page. I put in stadium security, and Cicada comes up number two in search results out of 58 million results. Okay, number two. And the only one that beats uh, below the ad and the featured snippet that, that uh, Google puts in there sometimes. The only one that beats us out constantly is Stadium Security Magazine. We can't compete with them. They're pumping out so much fresh content all the time. Uh, but we've been in this number two or three spot for three years now. Um, now, if you narrow it down, stadium security, anti-terror, you don't even have to put in best practices. My client comes up one, two, and three. Number one, two, and three position out of 246,000 results. Um, and they've been at this top position for well over a year. Anti-terror strategies at stadiums is a big deal now, as you all know. So this is, how, this is one of the ways they get found to uh, find more research partners, get some clients. 
But let's come back full circle. What's one of the benefits of brand journalism? Reporters find you. They find the quality content. You are automatically a credible source of information. They email you. They call you and say, hey, I'd like to quote you for my article. Kim Cavan, editor of Soundings Magazine, sent an email to the director of Cicada, Fred Roberts, after finding this article in an online search about using voice forensics to, to actually find and prosecute people. These wackadoodles in their mother's basements with marine radios, they, they pretend they're a ship at sea in distress. And they send out these fake Mayday calls. And this, the, the Coast Guard has to, over two days, send out plane and a boat and search teams to find these non-existent ships in distress. It's a big problem for the Coast Guard, and it's getting worse. So this is what I wrote about, how this um, partner of Cicada's is using voice forensics. Because when you make the Mayday call, you get a voice print, sort of like a thumbprint. At least that's the developing science. So she sent an email saying she'd found this, and here is the key part of what she said. I'm working on a story about how the US Coast Guard is turning to voice forensic technology to try and pinpoint prosecute hoax callers. While researching the topic online, I found the website of the Cicada program, which led me to you. And so I, Fred sent this to me. I called her. I told her who to talk to, how to reach them. Uh, the, the U.S. Coast Guard at Carnegie Mellon, and this article will be posted in the December or January issue of Soundings Magazine, which is the preeminent magazine for Northeast boaters. So, and I'm going to give you just one more example. I could provide lots of examples, but here's one more example. Um, <clears throat> the Star-Ledger interviewed Cicada director Fred Roberts um, because they found the information on, on, on the website in doing a story about the U.S. Coast Guard. And he got a look at the photo they took. It's fabulous. Rutgers researchers are crunching numbers to help keep the nation safe and secure in dangerous times. Redis Roberts, a mathematics professor at Rutgers, heads the 17-member consortium of universities using sophisticated data analysis to help the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Um, so we got this great magazine article uh, in the Star Ledger. So, Conclusion, brand, journal, brand journalism get results, it gets results, and it works. And I would like to, ah, one more little thing. I got to talk about this. Look, you, you've also got to create an editorial newsroom mentality in your organization. Um, you got to sell all this stuff to them. Send them to our next conference, okay? <laughs> but um, you got to get buy-in from the C-suite. And the other departments, you know? Those people who are territorial about marketing or this or that. Um, you gotta bring them all in. This is a team effort, internal and external communications. Do a communications audit, create editorial guidelines, build your news desk with contributors and editors, involve employees from the other departments, build an online news hub, and deliver your content. So this takes time, this takes time. But you can do it in small pieces and increments. You don't have to do the whole big thing all at once, as both Justin and, and Lindsay have also explained. Start small. And I believe, ah, thank you again to our sponsor. <laughs> and Eric, thank you for being here.
if you want to reach, I think he left some materials on the tables if you're interested in their influencer services. Um, and, okay, if you're not a member, you're curious about it, drop your card in the bowl at the registration table on the way out or give me your card. I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, and thank you for coming. And that will wrap things up for this edition of the Lubetkin on Communications podcast. If you have comments or suggestions about the program, please email me. My email address is steve at lubetkincommunications.com. I'd also like to remind you about my book with Donna Papacosta from Toronto, Canada. It's called The Business of Podcasting, How to Take Your Podcasting Passion from the Personal to the Professional. It's available on the Amazon Kindle and in trade paperback. More information at thebusinessofpodcasting.com. We produce this program in the studios of Professional Podcasts. It's one of our own Lubetkin Media Companies based here in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. We're on the web at beingthemedia.com. For everybody at the PRSA New Jersey chapter and at Professional Podcasts, I'm Steve Lubetkin. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.